and welcome to another What's Up podcast. This is Becca Martin-Brown, the Features Editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and I'm so excited to have on the phone with me today Larry Foley, filmmaker, professor at the University of Arkansas, and really tired new <laughs> papa of a film that was born September 10th. How That's are right. you? That's <laughs> Well, I am a little weary. You know, I, I typically don't sleep before an event like this which was the 10th the in fort smith or or the night after so um i, I probably will sleep pretty pretty well tonight aren't you glad that, <laughs> other than that i'm fine thank you becca when we're talking i don't know when you'll hear this folks but when we're talking it's friday so he has a weekend where he can go to bed <laughs> the name of the film is indians outlaws marshals and the hanging judge and i got a sneak peek of it and it is super cool Thank you. Why Judge Parker? Why now? Well, Becca, I've been thinking about this film for an awfully long time. Uh, I, I've, my, my folks are from Van Buren. I, I did live as a kid in Fort Smith for a while. And my mom still lives in Fort Smith. So uh, I, the, the story has been a part of my interest as far back as I can remember, even back to when I was a Cub Scout. and We took a tour over there at the the old courthouse where judge parker reigned for 21 years and and you know through my career i've done a few pieces that related to the parker's court uh, uh, and i just really wanted to do a big feature documentary on on that time period because i i've always been captivated by it i, I think that uh, in this particular case the true story is greater than some of the mythological fiction that has been cooked up over the past hundred and 20 or 30 years or so and uh and the other thing that made it real timely was that when i when i just launched into this and, and began talking with some began raising money and, and and gauging interest in the story um i learned from judge jim spears uh, who was community leader in fort smith for many years uh who was involved with the uh, bass reeves statue that's down on garrison avenue and he told me that they actually had already commissioned the statue of Judge Parker. And I, I quickly did the little calculation in my head thinking, well, you know, if we start on this film pretty soon, uh, about the time we would, uh, you know, want to start getting close to wrapping it up, that statue would be dedicated. So it just seemed like all the planets aligned and it was time to, you know, what is what's the old line to ask yourself is it are you going to fish or cut bait <laughs> now when we talked for the story that was in print on september 6th i think in what's up you you had a quote that i'm fascinated by that fort smith deserves a place in history next to places like dodge city and uh, deadwood tombstone yeah well, you know, when you think about those famous and at times infamous uh, towns of the old Wild West, those are the places that you think of. But when you really dig into the history, sometimes those places had maybe one instance, you know, one story. But really the, the Fort Smith story, when it relates to American Indian removal and uh, outlaws and and, and uh deputy marshals and, and the hanging judge, Judge Parker. Uh, we're talking about a period that went on for about 21 years. Uh, and it, it's a fabulous story. And I just have often wondered why, 
is this a local story? Why is this a regional story? This is really a national story. And every once in a while, it kind of eases out into the forefront. You know, Fort Smith is mentioned in, in Lonesome Dove. And, and it certainly plays a, a role in true grit. But uh, then we kind of forget about it. But so really, one of the goals I have is, is to bring, is to shine a light on the significance and on the color of this 21-year period from 1875 to 1896. Uh, one of the other goals that I have is that, um, you know, I really hope that once people see this film, they'll want to go to that National Historic Site. They'll want to take the trolley ride around that area. They'll want to walk into Judge Parker's uh, courthouse that's been restored and look at those old reconstructed gallows and, and, and kind of take themselves back to that moment in time because you know maybe not everybody thinks it's as fascinating as i do but it, it's a story that's just not let me alone <laughs> well you're preaching to the choir because anything historical i think is fascinating mm, me too i think part of the story that i never realized was so significant was the american indian part of the story because right. i know that judge parker sent marshals or that marshals were sent into Indian Territory in Oklahoma, but I don't think I ever really thought about how that affected the Native Americans. You know, it's it's amazing that, you know, just this last year, Arkansas celebrated its 200th anniversary as a territory. Uh, we became a state in 1836, uh, a territory in 1819. It's amazing how many people I talk with, and I remember seeing this map when I was a kid, who don't know that the original Arkansas Territory include, included most of what is now the state of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. That original Arkansas Territory included all of that space. So, But we had this Indian problem. What are we going to do with these Indians in the southeast? Uh, we got to put them someplace. So Indian Removal, mm -hmm. uh, the Indian Removal Act, the Trail of Tears, uh, the five, what was known as five civilized tribes. And they were literally just dumped in Oklahoma, Indian Territory. When it became Indian Territory, uh, when Arkansas became a state in 1836. And then after that, the early 1830s, uh, they started, the federal government started rounding up all kinds of tribes all over the West and just dumping them into Indian Territory. And um, I just don't think a lot of people really understand what was going on then. It is a complex, complicated story. So our story surrounds, you know, is, is set up by Indian removal uh, and, and what happened after the Civil War when the other tribes began to be, um, you know, dropped into the Indian Territory. And what would happen is outlaws figured out that they uh, that the Indian tribal courts and, and uh, law enforcement folks couldn't get them because they only had jurisdiction over Indians. The feds couldn't go in there and get them because it was Indian territory. So they would go to places like Coffeyville, Kansas, and rob a bank or rob, a, knock off a stage in, in Missouri or come into Arkansas and, and rob and plunder. And then they'd go over into the Winding Stair Mountains of, of Indian territory or the Kayamichis and, and hide out. And uh, as Elliot West, the distinguished professor of history at the university, called that time period, he said, um, you know, Indian territory had, w was like dropping down into a rabbit hole 
uh, his quote was, the whole place had gone feral. Wow. And that's a story that's so close to Fayetteville, too, because of the Ridge family. Oh, yeah. We well, absolutely. Forget, absolutely. You know. That's right. And, and you know, it wasn't just the five tribes, those five civilized tribes that were that were forced into Oklahoma. You know, the state of Arkansas also rounded up the Caddo and rounded mm-hmm. up the Quapaw. And those old settlers, the, the Cherokees that who lived around Russellville and Dover, Arkansas, they were rounded up and put over in there. So, um, I mean, just imagine that kind of a thing. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, the, the University of Arkansas is about to celebrate its 150th anniversary, uh, you know, 1871 to, well, it will be 2021. And that'll be 150 years. Arkansas, the University of Arkansas was around, uh, you know, for uh, several years before Judge Parker even moved to Fort Smith. So the earliest two plus decades of the U of A's history are going on is going on at the same time as all this Wild West stuff that's happening in over in Indian Territory. That's what, remarkable. And how far? How and it's unbelievable, isn't it? So I, I'm thinking about well, how far is it from campus to like the Oklahoma border now? Well, not very far. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how close we were to Indian Territory. Holy cow. That's fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about Bass Reeves before we talk about filmmaking. Okay. Bass Reeves is a story all of his own that needs his own film. How does he play into the story of Indians, Outlaws, Marshals, and the Hanging Judge? You know, Bass Reeves is a fascinating character. Uh, and he was not the only African-American deputy that rode for Parker. Uh, they, they were known as the men who rode for Parker. Mm-hmm. There were actually several. Uh, for various reasons, he was the one that has gained some fame. Uh, in 2012, on Memorial Day, uh, the city of Fort Smith dedicated a statue in honor of Bass Reeves. Uh, I sent, dispatched a film crew down there to cover that dedication. And we include that in the film. You know, there have been books written about Bass. Um, there have been little film clips about him. Uh, he's just a in a lot of myth. I mean, you know, the the whole story about he was the the impetus for the Lone Ranger is pretty well, much nonsense. But um, you know, a lot of the stories surrounding the court in Fort Smith, you know, surrounds myth. But you know, one of the fun things that that we did with our story of bass because as a as a reporter of history which is kind of the way i look at myself as a documentarian uh, i want to get the story right so um i was able to interview the great nephew of bass reeves uh, judge paul barry who's a retired federal judge and he wrote a book called the black badge i mean he's in his early 90s so we and he's sharp as attack and we interviewed him uh, Nudie Williams, who was a, a long, the late Nudie Williams, longtime mm-hmm. history professor at the U of A, uh, did extensive research on not only Bass Reeves, but those African American deputy marshals, some of whom uh, rode for Parker. So there was a lot of rich history that was um, not made up stuff, and that's what we dug into. And uh, what a fa- what an absolutely fascinating character Bass Bass was. Was he was he unique among the other African American deputies, or is it just that he has somehow gotten the name recognition? 
I think that's probably more it than anything else. Um, you know, it, it's hard to kind of determine why why some people gain fame or infamy more than others. Uh, there's a photo that we, and our film is is enriched with all kinds of, of actual photos from the time period. There is a photo of a group of, of uh, U.S. deputy marshals uh, standing and some sitting in front of the old federal courthouse in Fort Smith. And in that photo were a number of African-American mm-hmm. deputies. But you have to understand that, you know, who was living over there in Indian territory? Well, you had numerous American Indian tribes. Uh, you had... Um, free black people who uh, and, and sometimes slaves before the Civil War uh, who were living over there and some of them were good guys and some of them were bad guys <laughs> so you know the, 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 the Indian territory of this time period was amazingly diverse because there wasn't just one Indian culture you had all kinds of Indian cultures you had African American folks who were living over there you had settlers who were just trying to carve out a living and, and make something out of themselves and for their families. And then you had these outlaws, and the outlaws were whites, Indians, and blacks. So imagine, you know, the diversity that was going on over there. And it, it, it instead of calling it cowboys and Indians, I guess we probably should, you know, the way we look at the old Western films is that in some circumstances it was sort of like good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there were bad gals over there too. And some good gals wasn't wasn't Belle Star. Belle Star was, you know, she's one of the characters that we feature in the film. You know, Belle is one of those who's been mythologized, and mm-hmm. Hollywood for years looked at her as like a beautiful bandit queen. You know, the queen of the outlaws, and. Um, but if you take a look at, at, at pictures of, of Belle Star, real photographs, well, she doesn't look anything like the Hollywood starlets that portrayed her. Um, one, one of the fun things about working on this film is that uh, I've been collecting things and things that I had done myself. I did an interview with a, um, the late Guy Nichols, who was the park historian for many, many years. And I did this interview in 1986 with, with Guy. Uh, for a piece that I did for AETN. And Guy tells this incredible story about, he said, and the way he tells the story is a little lady came in here one time and said, I, I saw Belle Star when I was a little girl. And Belle says, well, let me ask you a question. Was, was Belle really a beautiful woman? And, uh, and, and Guy goes on and he says, Belle was as ugly as a mud fence but she poked me in my ribs with her bony little elbow and said, Belle was the only woman who would go into those Fort Smith bars and would drink with the men. And let's face it, Sonny, even today, one woman in a saloon full of drunk men, naturally, she's a beautiful woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I tell people, Becca, that I have been at this for so long, I am now serving as my own archive. And I've played both Sophia Sawyer and Belle Star, and I'd like to assume that they were beautiful women. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on what saloon you were in, right? <laughs> I don't think Miss Sawyer was ever in a saloon. I just felt her roll over in her grave. Talk a little bit about movie making, because you've got a great premise for the movie and a great cast doing it. It's so real. Well, you know, documentary filmmaking, which is kind of my my 
form of storytelling has been for an awfully long time you know kind of once i left the news business um you know the the whole idea is that we we try we try to stay true to fact and, and history if we're doing a historical piece in reality as much as we can we're not bending the facts we're really trying to do a truthful story oh just like uh, journalism we, well yeah but we <laughs> that's exactly right but we will use movie making techniques to bring a story to life this particular film crosses a little bit more over to the feature film realm in that the our story is based on an 1896 interview that a young uh, reporter from the St. Louis Republic newspaper uh, named uh, Ada Patterson uh, comes down to interview Judge Park, who is on his deathbed. He's dying of kidney disease. She does an in-depth interview with him uh, at, on the same day that Parker's court was stripped of its jurisdiction into Indian Territory. Wow. And so uh, when I got a hold of that, that story out of the Missouri Museum of, of History in St. Louis, and I read the depth of that story. Uh, several things struck me. Uh, it was it was colorfully written. Uh, she interviewed the judge. She interviewed Mrs. Parker. She interviewed the hangman, a guard, a jailer, and really brought that story to life. And I thought then, this is the foundation of our story. So if we can't go back and you know we didn't we didn't have a camera to roll on Ada when she was interviewing Judge Parker, so I thought let's recreate that. Now I do recreations and have done them for a long time, but usually my people are like playing baseball or, or grunting while they're chopping <laughs> trees or something like that. But so if we were going to do this, we needed to do it accurately we needed to not look hokey which meant that we needed to do it in period costumes shoot on real on sets that looked realistic and i needed a really really good ada patterson and then i needed an excellent judge parker so i hired um jenica schwartzman who is a hollywood actress whose husband is from fayetteville i, I knew jenica a little bit uh, I also needed someone, if she was going to play uh, Ada Patterson, to have a really good narrative voice. Mm -hmm. And and Jenica's got a great one. And I thought, who can I get to, to play Judge Parker? Well, Bill Rogers is a local actor who's a friend of mine. And Bill posted a picture on his Facebook page. And I thought, my goodness, that Bill looks like Judge Parker. There's some role that I think he was playing. And so I talked with both of them, and they knew each other. And... Uh, Basically, I, I conned them into to, to playing these roles, and we, we shot the interiors at the, the headquarters house in Fayetteville, the exteriors in front of the Susan and, and, and Orville Hall uh, home here in Fayetteville. Couldn't shoot the thing in Judge Parker's old home because it was destroyed by a, tor a tornado not too long after Parker died. Uh, folks in Fort Smith thought that it was an act of God. <laughs> uh, that They got rid of the, the old judge's uh, house. But... Um, you know, I'm still kind of jumping out there because this is a little bit of a different animal for me. Uh, but boy, did Jenica pull it off, and, and Bill pulled it off, and, and I and I think it works. And now, you know, you and never of course, really know. I love know. the fact that she's a girl. I love the fact that. Well, I, you know what? I love that too because I've been a professor for 27 years, and I've taught lots of, of young female journalists. 
many of whom have gone on to be reporters. And I could relate to that. And and she made quite Ada Patterson made quite a name for herself as a young reporter and a courageous reporter. I, I don't know how she got this assignment, Becca, but I gotta believe from what I've read about Ada Patterson, she probably lobbied for it mm-hmm. in her newsroom in St. Louis. And uh, and her writing is really good. So that that that's where the movie making crossed into history and we did everything we could to bring it to life. Now, okay, that's what we did. How did did we pull it off? Well, we've had one public screening, and look, it seemed like people loved it. You know, the whole idea is that we don't want to call attention to any of the tricks. Mm -hmm. We want you to forget what we're doing here, and that that almost instantaneously you you get taken back into history. That was the goal, and it, it seems like you know that's the way people are, are uh, receiving the film. Before we get done with this, because I could talk to you all day and would love to, tell me about the screening last night and what you did to get it out to people and how it went. How's that proud papa feeling? Well, I, uh, I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> you know, we, we because of COVID, we had a, a, a modest... Uh, pub, uh, event, uh, public screening. We limited it to 100 folks. Um, I think 85 said they were showing up and there were like 120 there, so I'm not <laughs> sure how that happened. But, you know, we we, we uh, moved the chairs apart. Uh, everyone wore masks. Um, you know, so we were as safe and cautious as we could possibly be. Uh, also made the decision that let's put this on. I've had a Facebook page for the film for a good while. Let's let's stream this film. Let's put a YouTube link up where you can watch the event on the stream. Go to the YouTube link and watch it. And uh, the last check I had is that we're like 850 people uh, watched at least 24 minutes of the film. Super so cool. you know you figure that we're pushing a thousand folks that just watched that little event from seven to nine last night so uh there, there may have been a glitch or two some folks didn't understand that we weren't actually streaming the film that you had to go to that youtube link and um that we're asking folks basically to perform you know tricks for us <laughs> but but um you know it went off pretty well and i'm glad that we did it because we knew we couldn't have a big public event because of of the virus and and we didn't want to have a big what do you call those things where you have a big event and a whole bunch of people get sick? Whatever super that's called. Spreader. We did not want to have a super spreader. We did not want to have that. No. This wasn't like a fraternity rush party. <laughs> this Let was not Sturgis. You. This was not Sturgis by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it went pretty well, and I've I've been trying to catch up with with notes that I have gotten in, in a few phone calls and Facebook posts, but. Um, Look, people really like the film, and, and that's you know that's what we hope. My old news director when I was in the news business, Jim Pitcock, used to say, uh, it doesn't make any difference how good something is if, if nobody ever sees it. Well, the whole goal that we had was getting it out there so people would, would see it. At least this was the launch of the program. And uh, and then we sit back and decide and, and, and take a look and said, okay, how did we do? So far, the reviews have been quite kind. And if you are now thinking... How did I not do this? How did I miss this? You can get your very own copy of Indians, right. Outlaws, Marshals, and the Hanging Judge from UA Press at uapress.com for 1995. 
you'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Well, and the DVDs are in. I got a. I got a. You know, I left for Fort Smith yesterday at, at 4 p.m. and the DVDs showed up at my front door at 11:30 in the morning. So they came in in the nick of time. Perfect. Well, it is a wonderful film, and thank you for spending your time talking to us for our podcast. It's been wonderful fun. I could stay all day. Always great talking with you, Becca. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. This is another What's Up podcast, and we'll be back with more interesting people soon. Mm-hmm.